Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and my life and work exist at the heart of law, business, and technology. Yeah, I've earned a few fancy titles and degrees over the years, but the bottom line is I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and lifelong learner. And I'm really excited that you've joined me on this journey. So what is Tech Intersect? Well, it's authentic, empowering conversations with really interesting guests who demystify complex topics to prepare you for the future, because your future is now. And it exists where law, business, and tech intersect. Get ready to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. In this episode of Tech Intersect, I talk with Lee Quinn. She's a tech reporter covering blockchain technology for publications such as Coindesk, Newsweek Japan, International Business Times, and Racked. And her work has also been published by Teen Vogue, Al Jazeera English, The Jerusalem Post, Mike, and Salon. I invited Lee on to talk about some of the latest topics and trends she's covering in the blockchain and crypto spaces. And we ended up spending a lot of time exploring this boom of what she refers to as thirst traps, sexy selfies, and feminist gifts, because evidently they are selling like hotcakes on non-fungible token or NFT markets. But of course, not everyone is thrilled about this trend. In fact, Lee was challenged by the topic at first, but through her reporting, she has come to appreciate the self-actualizing creative and financial power born out of this really unique way of leveraging NFTs. This is a must-listen-to episode, to be sure. Now, a quick reminder before we hop into the episode. By popular demand, I'm offering yet another one-hour masterclass, and it's free, on everything you need to know to get off of the sidelines and into the crypto world safely, legally, and confidently without having any tech or finance experience. This free class is for new entrants as well as for those who just need to refresh their skills or learn the latest about the new digital economy, especially women. We'll talk about Bitcoin's recent price surge. It's crazy. And why you should take your time, D-Y-O-R, or do your own research before you buy a single Satoshi. We'll also talk about PayPal's recent entrance into the crypto game. It now allows customers to buy and sell cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. But I'll also share with you not just the pros of this easy way to buy crypto, but also some of the not insignificant cons to a platform like PayPal at this moment in time. I'll also share a sneak peek at my Advantage Evans resource guide and why women are the fastest growing group to buy cryptocurrencies. So definitely you want to make sure that you are not left behind and that you position your purse and your profession for the future of money and work. This masterclass will give you an in-depth introduction into cryptocurrency, explore the similarities and differences between crypto, stocks, and cash, show you how to convert dollars into crypto, guide you through creating a digital wallet in 10 minutes or less, educate you on how to earn crypto while learning and shopping online, and some of the legal issues and pitfalls to steer clear of. So you don't commit any unforced errors when you are purchasing or selling crypto. So 
If you are tired of wasting time trying to break into the crypto markets alone, if you're frustrated and confused about what crypto is and how it works or scared to invest in crypto because you think it's illegal or just way too unsafe, this session is for you. Visit from cashtocrypto.com and reserve your seat today. Okay, now it's time to listen, learn, and leverage. So let's get started. Today, I am so very excited to welcome Lee Quinn to Tech Intersect. She's a freelance tech writer for Coindesk with bylines at a number of notable publications, including Newsweek. Uh, she's also a funny, witty, creative spirit with an amazing Twitter timeline. I'm kind of obsessed, and she's doing some wonderful work in the world of crypto creativity. And, and, and so we'll, we'll talk about all of that and more. But first, Lee, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So I like to tee up our conversation as I do with anyone I'm interviewing remotely connected to the blockchain tech or crypto space and any rabbit hole experience that you might share. But how? tell us about your origin story leading up to what you do now. Yeah. So I've been a journalist for a pretty long time. I first heard about Bitcoin when I was working in the Middle East. I was working as a correspondent there for several years, and it wasn't a super deep story. My editor just assigned me to write a little bit about dark net markets and this really weird currency called Bitcoin that people were using to buy drugs and porn on the markets. <laughs> <laughs> and I was immediately really intrigued by this idea of global money as an international freelancer who was constantly weeping to her bank trying to get international transactions done. But I wasn't super interested in the drugs or porn buying aspect. So I didn't look closer into Bitcoin. And what I started doing was just journaling about how much I liked this idea and how I thought it was very cool. And I didn't really think that there'd be other people that had the same interest as me in this technology. And a few years later, I was then living in New York working as a tech reporter. And my manager asked me if I could cover the blockchain beat. And I remember mm. in the interview, I literally said, like, sure, it's probably a chain of blocks. <laughs> I can handle that. <laughs> what, right. What could possibly go wrong? I'm what sure it's very wrong? straightforward. <laughs> and it was so complicated and so difficult. And I found that incredibly uh, inspiring and challenging. I really enjoyed the challenge that like, I had to figure out really how to do my job in some basic ways. Uh, how do you fact check an article about cryptocurrency? Like, What are the data sources that you trust? These are things that no one knew the answer to. So I was really lucky that I was able to take on that beat in 2017, right before things got crazy. And right. I've been covering it ever since. Do you find that every time you cover a story that you learn something new about the space? Most of the time, yeah. I learn... I mean, there are so many times I'll approach a story and I'll genuinely, I've been doing this for 10 years and I'll still be like, I have no idea how it is I'm going right. to accomplish this right. because like every project is so different and the things that you need to be able to check are so different. Are there particular areas in the space that you find most interesting, intriguing or confounding probably that piques your intellectual curiosity and your journalistic instinct to want to know more? Yeah, I'm very fascinated by the ways that people are actually using this global digital currency and assets, all different kinds of assets. I There's, there's so many things we can do. Theoretically, right. we could do a zillion things. But what I'm interested in is what are people actually doing and why are they doing that? How is it benefiting them? Absolutely. So talk to us about some of the topics that you've been covering recently that, that stand out. I feel like there's 
you know that this space moves so quickly. I've just been in it just a bit over three years and I feel like it's been 30 years and I'm constantly (laughs) learning. It's like, oh my God, I'm exhausted and exhilarated all in one. You know, I feel like this time last year, we weren't talking about yield farming and we just started to enter maybe a year, year and a half ago about DeFi that's really taken hold. But are there topics specifically that, that you've covered recently that seem to be attracting a lot of eyeballs? Yeah, so I've been reporting on the sex industry in general for longer than I've been reporting on cryptocurrency. It's actually one of the beats that I used to cover before Mm. I was a tech reporter. But in particular, since the pandemic started, there's been a real uh, resurgence of Mm. the online sex industry. So that can be anything from camming to modeling, you know, people sending selfies to uh, text chat uh, to voice. It, It doesn't always necessarily mean filming a traditional porn. And there's also all different kinds of dominatrix relationships that are moving mm-hmm. online as less people are going out to, to clubs and venues. And right. for these people, because sometimes they get deplatformed, um, and that includes being unbanked, uh, they still have kids that they want to put through college, mortgages they have to pay, and they need to be able to work with things that aren't just a few dollar bills. Um, and so cryptocurrency has been one of the tools they've been able to use in order to manage their own finances. That's fascinating because I often think the porn industry and also I think of gaming, other industries and sectors in that way that tend to be at the forefront of Mm -hmm. whatever the latest innovation or technological advancement happens to be. Do Do you see that in the space as well? Oh, definitely. And it's a lot of times because these are either early adopters in the case Mm -hmm. of gamers, or these are people that are excluded from traditional methods. And so they have to be creative and always figuring out what is the next thing. Right. And it's interesting because I've also, I know that obviously the porn industry is, you know, consists of all different expressions of sexuality to be sure. But so much of my work is focused on women and those who are traditionally marginalized I'll be at black and brown communities, or I'm a member of the LGBTQ community as well, ways to find opportunities to educate and therefore empower. And I don't hear a lot of people talking about the importance of the education aspect, which I know you express through your writing, uh, that obviously you're reporting on something, but underneath it, the educator in me honors the educator in you. That's <laughs> how you. I experience some of the things that you write. Do you find that that is a part of your approach or your point of view, the education piece? Yeah, definitely. So I'll uh, reveal a little bit about myself here. I actually come from a very conservative religious family, and I Mm. wasn't someone who was inherently pro-porn at all, actually. And my perspective on that industry has changed from the reporting in it and from Mm. seeing that there are a lot of people that are choosing this profession and doing it safely and using it to support themselves, sometimes in circumstances where their only other option for income was much more exploitive than the work that they're doing online. And you were talking particularly about black and brown women. There are, it's hard to say exactly what percentage, exactly um, how it is that these women are discriminated against differently. But a lot of them will tell you that if a woman of color posts a lingerie pic on Instagram or on Twitter, it is much more likely to get flagged than a white woman, for example. Mm -hmm. And these are the ways that they advertise their businesses. And that's how they connect with customers. I especially think about all the strip clubs that are closed, um, the Mm -hmm. porn studios that are closed. So if they want income at all, they need to be able to manage their own marketing and they need to be able to manage their own money safely in a way that doesn't allow random strangers to trace it back to them. Right. 
Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. And so that presents, you know, the power and the opportunity of crypto. And I know that so much of the community is focused on the financial, well, specifically cryptocurrencies, any coin or token that functions specifically as currency. But I also know that you spend a lot of time not only talking about and tweeting about non-fungible tokens as a means of unique expression, specifically in the crypto space. And, you know, I spend a lot of time uh, focused more on crypto assets instead of specifically currencies, because not all coins and tokens function in the same way. That's why I'm a major advocate of, of really getting our collective brains around the taxonomy, because it's just going to be different treatment. Every, you know, not everything should be treated in the same way. And so that's why your focus on non-fungible tokens and the scarcity that comes from that, that can be expressed fully in crypto art to actually really empower artists in that space. Talk to me about that and, and your point of view and how you even started to focus on NFTs. Yeah. So maybe it was two years ago now. Time has been really flying by. I made a very small poetry book, very, very small poetry book and printed it and was selling it for roughly $10 each. And I did this because I wanted to test the Lightning Network. But as a journalist, Mm. I felt really uncomfortable just asking people to randomly send me money. So I was selling them a product. And even when I had sold out of these printed books, people still were wanting to buy poems from me. But it wasn't economical, especially with all the shipping issues that are going on right now during the pandemic, for me to print another batch and send them out. Shipping was actually the most expensive part of that process. Um, But people still definitely wanted to feel like not just that they had read the poem or Googled it online, but that they had gotten it specifically from me and that there was a direct interaction with the artist. And I was very lucky that someone slid into my DMs and he was like, <laughs> well, have you ever thought of making an NFT, a non-fungible token? And I honestly was like, oh, I don't know. I've never tried that. So we'll try it. I probably have made with him. So I, I definitely do get help for the graphic design, but maybe up to five tokens, wow. uh, non-fungible tokens. And a couple of them, there was several versions. So people could buy like three of them and you can do different things with them. Like for example, for one of the tokens, it only looks to everyone else like a GIF, mm-hmm. but if you have a particular key, if I sold it to you in particular, you can unlock the GIF and reveal the poem underneath. Wow. Yeah. So some of them you just, it, people say, oh, well, you could just screenshot it. And that is true. But there are other ones that they wanted to have private and you can make it so that it's interactive, like a, like a gameplay. Um, or so there's like the difference between like a closed letter and a postcard and you can do mm. either with NFTs and I do think that there are many uh, customers who just prefer an email with the same poem, and that's fine, and that's great. But for people who do prefer to have something that they can trade and interact with, as like as if you could interact with paper, that is something that I can offer them now. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. 
We hope you're enjoying this edition of Tech Intersect. Our conversation will continue in a moment, but first, a word on an exciting opportunity. There's a more cost-effective and time-efficient way to reach your leading-edge learning and earning goals, to put you ahead of the stiff competition in this fast-paced, tech-driven economy. You need skills, credentials, and a fast track to a competitive advantage. You need it now more than ever, and I can help. The Advantage Evans Method puts you ahead of the curve with condensed, comprehensive online courses, curated content to leverage your current skills and expertise, live coaching, networking opportunities, and more. Upcoming courses include From Cash to Crypto to help you buy your first Bitcoin, and there are two ways to get your advantage. Advantage Evans Encore gives you maximum experience for your total competitive advantage and access for one year. It includes a live welcome and modules on terminology, buying and selling, exchanges, mining, earning crypto, trading and investing, and also several of the legal issues you need to know in order to be safe and secure as you enter this space. That includes tax compliance, how to plan for a Bitcoin estate, and securities laws to make sure you avoid any legal unforced errors. Now, Advantage Core gives you the essentials. It's a short course to give you what you want and the support you need to buy your first crypto in as little as three weeks with access to the information and replays for three months. And if you're not quite ready for your Advantage and want a sneak peek to try before you buy, then register for a free masterclass where I share my Crypto 101 success checklist and cover current hot topics in crypto. So there truly is something for everyone, including you, to get in on the fast track and learn and earn in the digital economy. Visit AdvantageEvans.com to get started. That's AdvantageEvans.com. And now, back to the conversation. You know, as you were talking about the fact that Yes, I suppose that I could print the words up and send it in an email or a text. And maybe that just speaks to the fact that the the consumer, there, there's like a, a higher, not a hierarchy, that's the wrong term. They're just going to be different types of consumers and it's not an either or, but a both and. Mm-hmm. But absolutely, there are people who are um, aware of and want to interact specifically with an artist who wants to ensure the provenance of You know, it doesn't have to be $10 million, but the provenance of what I have is being unique and valuable and that subjective value above and beyond even the the financial value. And and, and that's part of of art and and the unique way that as a result of this technology, you can have direct access to and connect with people in a way that perhaps with a formal studio and... I hate to use the word intermediary because I'm like totally committed on this podcast to not use buzzwords, (laughs) but I'll use them and then define them. So that's kind of the way. But I think at this point, everybody knows, you know, any middle person that stands between me and my ability to interact directly with you is something that we don't necessarily need. And, And that means that creators are empowered and also consumers are empowered to have more direct access. I think as a matter of a fan base and fan club, from back in the day, like, you know, what's old is new again. I, I feel like the fan clubs are coming back. <laughs> do you see that in the NFT space? Yeah, I do think there's a, a level of fandom to it. But I also think that 
people are used to seeing something as like intellectual property as opposed mm. to an interactive product and mm. something that people can do with NFTs that is really fun. For example, if you have a, a character in a video game, you can be playing that video game and actually have the you know different ex- adventures you go on impact the character. You can get scars, you can get bonus materials, you can get all different kinds of things. Mm. So it's not necessarily that you can't copy and paste or screenshot the content of an NFT, although with the example of the one that only unlocks you couldn't it's more Mm. that like i can offer something that is faster and more accessible and cheaper than printing it on paper to get a poetry book published is itself a part-time job you know courting the agents and the publishers and dealing with the the book printing and distribution but i can make an nft in probably like 24 to 48 hours right so if I have a custom request, someone wants a poem about a particular topic, it would be much more expensive and, and time-consuming for me to print out a high-quality, visual, interactive, tangible product versus a digital product. You're speaking my love language here uh, because in the early 2000s, my, my family and I own an independent publishing company. I came up in a time where self-publishing was just becoming a thing. I remember I was hosting. I know I'm an educator for sure now, as I think about it back in the day, we were doing a host of like seminars about literary law specifically. I was practicing in literary law. My mom, I'm an IP attorney by training and my mom's a patent attorney as well. And so we were constantly doing speaking engagements around the, the intellectual property, most, you know, mostly focused on copyright, but also there were a lot of independent, you know, self-publishers creating the term independent publishers and creating their own micro houses because at the time it was very difficult to get the attention of the biggies in New York. And so I remember like Ex Libris was the first, uh, one of the first, if not the first electronic book publisher, this crazy thing called eBooks that was just on the horizon. And all of the time that we spent talking about that and then creating books around that, a series of legal reference writers for authors and other creatives, and how expensive that endeavor was. Yes. Always the first one was the most expensive because, you know, to do that first print run is just crazy. And the idea that with this technology, not only has it made it better, faster, and cheaper, you know, the, the time to market, it's also just the immediate connection around the work and having programmable work conceivably, I guess if there's, you know, I don't exactly know how all of the technology works, but in terms of if you wanted to change it, or I think you said earlier, creating several different quote unquote print versions, if we're using the 20th century, Mm -hmm. you know, parlance for it, to be able to have your master one and done or to have like a limited edition. So it seems like there's a lot of room to run in the space. Where do you see, how do you see NFTs impacting creativity beyond where we are now? Yeah. So I want to point out something related to what you said, even before I think about how it relates to my creativity. And that is an NFT is only, only solves a lot of the legal issues if you have the recourse to enforce that. So we've had people, Mm. for example, have their selfies taken from Twitter without their consent and then have someone else make an NFT in their name and sell it. Mm. And and there's no protection against that other than your traditional lawyer who finds the traditional artist and tells them, stop doing that, right? So right. someone could impersonate me and try and sell um, poems like me. And my only choice of recourse would not be technical. It would still be good old-fashioned courts. But that being said, I try and develop every product so uniquely 
and so much in line with my personality that people know that it would be very difficult for someone to do that. Um, right. Not impossible, but very challenging. And you were talking about having different options. It was really fun the other day that I have a, a, a poetry customer who's bought many poems from me, and he had noticed that I had changed a version from the master to some of the other, ver- uh, wow. other versions I was offering. And he liked the, like they were like cousins, these poems. Oh. And I love the idea of being able to make a poem that has like a family with different endings or different details that it emphasizes, maybe different perspectives. And it's mm-hmm. something that you can do with a digital product that just, if I was trying to print something on paper, the amount of time and energy it would take in order to offer that kind of service would just not be economical. That's really powerful because the when I think of all of the, you know, I wear a lot of, not a lot of hats, but several different hats in the IP space. And when I was in full-time practice, it was more about locking down rights. And I didn't fully appreciate the breadth and the depth of the space that creatives need to collaborate Mm -hmm. and what that means. Now, the other side of that is if you see anybody taking advantage of you, you, you call me. I, I have some <laughs> things that I have some things for them. So so we'll take care of them in a separate conversation and perhaps litigation. But the space to create and to innovate. And that's why I think it's so powerful, the creative NFT space, because it al- not just aligns, but it's the intersection of the best of technology and the best of creativity in a way that's also empowering. And so that that's what I hear in your story. How how prevalent is the creative NFT game, specifically on the artist side. I know about Dada.NYC and some other spaces that have, you know, piqued my interest to want to know more. How big is the space now and and where do you see it going? So it's still very, very, very small. Uh, The amount of people that can read the blockchain data, which is basically the authenticity receipt for your NFT, right? is probably a few thousand people on the planet. So this is very, very small. There are maybe a few thousand artists that are making and trading and buying, collecting. I would say it would be a stretch to even say that like I would estimate off the top of my head, 10K people on the planet would be the most I would possibly imagine. I, right. Anyone who says more, I'd be very curious to hear where they get their data from because mm-hmm. there are a lot of unique projects being made, but only a small amount of collectors because there's only a small amount of people that know how to safely store and pay for even um, a cryptocurrency NFT, right? So there's that. It's a very, very small niche space. However, I do think that there's, I like the range. There's just like so many different things that people are doing. You can make images that move and like portraits uh, Mm -hmm. that are like gifts that are funny and clever. You can make, like I've been doing poems. There are people that do characters for inside video games. That's Mm -hmm. something you actually like use. Uh, there's all different kinds of NFTs, and I do think that it's it's a very small space, but that the people that are involved in it get a lot of value from it that wasn't previously available. I think it's one of the most exciting communities. You know that each, when I think of blockchains and, and when I think of projects, it's nothing if not for the community. And I'll call it a small but mighty community right now because yeah. everybody who's in the space is wicked excited about it. So I think it only has room to run. So it's one of my favorite areas of of crypto and blockchain to continue to watch because it continues to be a, a trailblazer. I mentioned the term community, and I know that you are very intentional about community and inclusion 
and belonging. I know you're very intentional whenever there's a speaking opportunity to make sure that a number of different types of voices are weighing in. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about where we are now in terms of community and in particular opportunities for women and in the space. I know that if we're thinking specifically about cryptocurrencies, that at least in Q1, the women demographic was the fastest growing in the space. I don't know what the statistics are now, but if those who are taking my course now are any indication, it's been 95% women and around the same amount of, of black and brown folks who are interested, don't have a tech or finance background, but really want to figure it out. And so I'm wondering what your thoughts are about where we are now in terms of opportunity and, and where we have to go in the space. Yeah. So like you, I'm relatively new in that I only joined the space in 2017. So that's yeah. around three-ish years. But I remember in my first year, for example, I went to a conference in which there was over 200 people and I was one of three women. Right. And that was very common. I don't think that's as common today. I think that mm-hmm. there's been a lot of growth in particular from people that are marginalized by other service providers. Right. And that has a tendency to be women, although it's not always women, and it has tendency to be people of color, although it's not only people of color. I think that there's also been a lot of people in the space who are very proactively trying to prioritize use cases that are empowering. Mm. So people always ask, like, why aren't there more women in crypto? <laughs> right. And I think it's very silly because in order to get into the space, what you need is extra capital and extra time. Mm. You need to learning and learning takes time and space, brain space. You can't be stressed out taking care of everyone all the time. Right. So the reason that there are more affluent white men that are deep in the space is because they have all of this time and extra money to spend on it. And as we see more women getting that economic power, we see them Mm -hmm. using it with the same level of interest, if not more so. I love that it, you know, I just had my light bulb aha moment. And that's a wonderful place and space to leave it. I, I all of a sudden looked up at the time. It's like, oh no, I could talk to her all day. <laughs> We've got to go. Um, that is fantastic. And it's a great awareness. And I think that's absolutely correct. And so I have, I'm extremely optimistic and enthusiastic. And I'm thrilled that you are in the space and with all the work that you're doing. And I love connecting with you on the Twitters. So (laughs) (laughs) uh, before we get out of here, tell listeners, speaking of Twitter, how they can learn about you and your work with the caveat that whatever you say, in addition to what you've sent me, I'm going to definitely drop it in the show notes, but I love it when they hear it from you. Yeah. So people can definitely follow me on Twitter. It's L-A underscore underscore C-U-E-N. So La Quinn. And they can follow me on Substack. That's L-E-I-G-H-C-U-E-N dot substack.com. So Lee Quinn at substack.com. And those are probably the two best ways to follow my work. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And I had my official fangirl moment, so I feel better now. And <laughs> thank you. This is fun. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Many thanks again to Lee Quinn for sharing her origin story, the latest in crypto reporting, and the wonderful, wonderful world of non-fungible tokens or NFTs, and also why artistic expression, diversity, and inclusion must and will indeed play a pivotal role in the future mass adoption of crypto and the ultimate growth of the blockchain space. 
Final housekeeping notes, please take a moment to like, comment, and share this episode and this podcast with your networks. Follow me on social media and let me know what topics you'd like to hear more of and who you'd like to hear more from. All right, that's all for this episode. Until next time, continue to shine. Stay in touch with host Tanya Evans via your favorite social media on Twitter at at Tech Intersect and on Instagram via the handle Tech Intersect. This podcast has been produced by Stephanie Renee for Soul Sanctuary Incorporated.